you'd see people that you thought are staid individuals, you know, who live a very, very correct life and never cause any trouble. And you see them romping around in circles with extra flags and screaming their heads off, you know. <laughs> it's extraordinary what, what a hurling match can do for people. I think on the day we were prepared for a 70 minute and it was do or die. This is either going to make us or break us. She made one, one cock up that was with you for years and years. And in some cases, never forgotten by the, by the public either. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome wherever you may be. Welcome to join us here in Croke Park, Dublin, on this All-Ireland Hurling final day. And as we come on the air, we look down on a glorious sun beating down beautifully on the Artane Boys Band, the Pipers Band, and the men from Wexford and the men from Cork marching round this crowded arena here as a preliminary to the game that could well be the game of the century. This is the story of a team, a story of a county more than 50 years ago. But more than that, this is a story of a match which lifted the entire county and enthralled the whole country. People drove to this match on tractors and bicycles, leaving three or four days beforehand. Mass was said at 6.30 on that Sunday morning to give those on trucks and cars time to drive up to Croke Park. And all of those who couldn't go to the match gathered and wrapped in kitchens and parlours to listen to Hall O'Hare on Radio Erin and to listen to those Wexford men, the Wexford heroes, do battle for their county. Now, the band just taking a short sweep to go across to the far side of the pitch and as the crowds cheer, the best thing we can do is get on with giving you the line out to the teams, both sides playing as selected. First of all, the All-Ireland champions and holders of the title, the Leinster champions, Wexford in goal, Art Foley. Right back, Bobby Rackard. Full back, Nick O'Donnell. And left back is Mick Morrissey. The half line. On the right, Jim English, the captain of the team. In the centre, Willie Rackard. And on the left, Jim Morrissey. The centre field, Seamus Hearn and Ned Wheeler. The half forward line. On the right is Podge Joe. In the centre is Martin Codd. And on the left is Tim Flood. And the full forward line, at top of the right, is Tom Ryan. In full forward is Nicky Rackard, and top of the left is Tom Dixon. Hi, my name is Jim English. I played uh, with Ratnure St. Anne's, and I played right half-back with Wexford uh, for 10 years. I captained the 1956th All-Ireland team for Wexford, and I suppose that team is a special team with all Wexford fans. Tim Flood is my name. And I live in Tom and Early Clan Roach, County Wexford. I never wanted to live anywhere else. In 1956, I was 29, I think, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm Martin Codd, and I'm, I'm 70, early 78 in November, and uh, I was born 1929, and a uh, farmer's son, and uh, I worked on the land all my life. Wheeler, Ned Wheeler is the name. I was born in Rathdowney, County Leaks, on the 8th of May 1932. And hurling was the name of the game. We hurled and hurled and hurled. I came on the, on the Wexford team as a, as a minor, a minor in 1944. 
I graduated the county minor hurling. I wasn't much of a minor player. I eventually grew, grew into myself. Uh, Billy Record, by the way, speaking, in case you're aware of strange voices. Here they are now, the Arcane Boys band swinging round just down in front of us here. The flags flying, the red and white of Cork and the purple and gold, and the pike standards of Wexford. This was all Ireland Sunday, September the 23rd, 1956. Wexford was playing Cork, the greatest team in the country, who threatened all with the country's greatest player the formidable Christy Ring, who was determined to take his ninth All-Ireland. Now, Cork go back to the right. The roll of the drum and the crowd stands to face the tricolour. As ladies and gentlemen, we hear our national anthem. What had effect on me was standing for the national anthem. I learned what, when people had said, or oh, nothing at the knees. That was the first time I was knocking at the knees. Well, the whole lot had effect on me, the parade and the <laughs> national anthem. How would you feel, Tim? <laughs> well, for the national anthem, I always stood to attention and I said a small prayer for Ireland. Makes <laughs> <laughs> everyone different. <laughs> I, I used to always bless myself after it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say, for my parish, my club, my county <laughs> for Ireland. <laughs> and Wexford weren't meant to be there at all. In only five years, the team had gone from losers on the field to playing in fall all Ireland. But this was the big one. Finally, after being beaten by Cork in 54, Wexford had the hunger and confidence to win. By the 56th final, was so important and so much hype about it was because we that year we had beaten Chilkenny in the Leinster final and we had beaten Tip in the league final and only Cork now in the All-Ireland final. Like, if we knew that if we beat Cork, we'd be classed as one of the greatest teams of all time. After the war... In 1945, you must remember the war wasn't too long over, 10 years, but when they started to come in 1950, the war wasn't long over. And they lifted the, the people, you know, they lifted the whole nation, if you like, and gave them a, a great boost, like, you know, these big men from Wexford, like, who could grab the ball out of the, out of the air. But that time in '54, they faced down Cork in an All-Ireland final is a match which Tim Flood still remembers. '54 was... A game I shouldn't like to talk about, but it was a game we should have won, and that was our end of it that, that lasted. And I was principally me now because I got the chances and I didn't 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 score them. Like you know, I I missed an open goal in it, like you know, which which would have won the match. I always said, you know, they went on to win against Galway in 1955. But to beat that Western County did not have the same honour as beating one of Hurling's big three, Cork, Tipperary and Kilkenny. This final was the match they had to win and the eyes of the whole country were on them. Lifelong Wexford fan Des Broderick spent the weeks before the match cutting out profiles of the players from the Irish press and the Irish Independent. The build-up to the game was also pretty unique, really, because of the fact that there was very little sport available to the public other than hurling and football. It completely took over their lives. 
So in Wexford Town now, for example, in the weeks leading up to the game, and particularly the week prior to the game, the main street is, is very narrow and the shops are very different from what they are now. And almost every shop, uh, well, every second shop anyway, sold flags. And I can remember distinctly uh, walking up the main street uh, one Saturday evening before the game. And there were thousands of flags outside the shops for sale. It was like a Mardi Gras, I suppose. Uh, I didn't recognise that at the time, but with hindsight, I suppose it was. And people did buy the flags, and they also bought hats, usually sort of paper hats, and sometimes cloth hats. But there was a tremendous amount of excitement. by Ring from from a free after five, what, four and a half minutes of play, leaving the score... Wexford, one goal of one point, Cork, one point. Normally uh, in Wexford, and I'm sure in most of the counties, the, the situation would be that there would be an early mass and a sort of a late mass. You know, one about 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning and then one about 11 or 12. But on the morning of the All-Ireland, there was a special mass said so that people uh, could fulfil their obligation. And this invariably would be at about 6am. And uh, as they say, it would be a quick mass too, and it would be over very quickly. And everybody then would pile into whatever uh, mode of transport they had and get themselves up to Croke Park. Most of the companies uh, who employed large numbers of people, and if they had trucks or any type of transport, they invariably made those trucks or lorries available to their workers in order to go to the game. And that was another uh, important way of getting there. They used to put uh, wooden stools, or ferns as they would be called in Wexford, and they used to sit in them. And I, don't, I don't think it probably would be that comfortable a trip because the roads weren't as good as they are now. Uh, but uh, people weren't interested in that. All people were interested in was getting there. It was down to Pete Cap to keep the sun out of his eyes. Get the ball up to Jim Morrissey. Jim Morrissey up into the centre now. Just a few months ago, I was talking to a, a brother. He's, he's, he's teaching in Dublin. He was down in Cardo. I was talking to him. And he says, that Wexford team, who was the little lad that used to take the ball from Nick O'Donnell? You see... Nico had always passed out the ball. I said, it could be me. I used to be always about four yards away from Nico. And if Nico was caught oh, yeah. out, Bobby yeah. was the same. Was. The same they there. nursed you, Jimmy. Huh? They were like a surrogate mother to you. Well, you see, I, that's it. I was handy. Keep you, out, were, you were handy. Keep out the ropes. to me now. <laughs> well, there'd be awful arguments of whether Billy or Bobby was the better player, you know. Jim, Jim, Jim Morris was a great, great centre field man. Jim, he, he'd move the ball quicker nearly than anyone he'd oh. Jim Morris. Oh, Morris was, Morris was a yeah. human dynamo. Wexford 1 1, Cork 1 point in the All Ireland final, which is just under nine minutes old. The All Ireland hurling final. Lads would come up to see and wouldn't, they'd be really afraid of getting lost in Dublin and they'd be holding hands. Going, once you have the train, they'd be lads would be. Holding hands or hold on to the tail of it as court. There could be 12 of a party of lads, more or less the one parish, I suppose, that travel together. <coughs> but uh, the story was told about this fellow that 
he was from Ballyhog. Ballyhog would be a place about eight miles from here now, but he got lost to sea and then he was terribly worried. But he was going down O'Connell Street in the evening and he was looking for his mates. And every pub we'd see, he'd go in and he'd shout out, is there anyone here from Ballyhog? Or did anyone see the Ballyhog folks? <laughs> he'd go on the whole evening, he'd get left in Dublin, he wouldn't be able to find his way home. Wouldn't be home for the next two or three days or so. The score, 1-1 for Wexford, one point for Cork. Kulikas Kulina Wainig, Lok Dudaman, Agas Kulina Wainig, Kunde Kutkig, Shinon score a card there, and Mick Cashman takes the puck out, a long one, well up the field. Uh, Nicky Rackard always said a few words before the game and then you were musing to yourself Jeez, what do I do if I get the first ball will I catch it will I stop it will I hit it that was the worry because if you cut, went to catch the ball which I very seldom did and I fell up in your hand you started disjointed you for a few moments and if you pulled on the ball and missed it you were also disjointed so that was the worry what will I do with the first when the ball comes? In? If you missed it, I might upset the whole and Jim Brown routine for the day. Well the the field, and Willie Rackett puts those hands up again, and he grabs that ball. A wonderful effort. He's lost his stick, but he still hand passed the ball across. Now. Number one, you, you play possibly for your family, you know, because uh, they would be supporting you in every way they could. So for them. Then for the parish, you, I mean, I think I, I would never let down my parish. You know, you play for your county, but I would never let down my parish. Uh, it was something I held dear, the parish. And um, then, as I said, for the county, you, you had the responsibility. I think uh, you have a responsibility as a captain, I suppose, uh, just to lead them. And, and uh, I suppose be right I think on the day and do what's good for the for the game I think and that's what that's what it means to us. I remember now I was the only one from Club One on the team you know and when you be going around marching around the field someone shout up Club One like you know and that was the nicest thing you could say for me now you know rather than saying something about your name or something you know because um, the parish meant a lot to me and 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 that was for me alone, like, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one way that I used to keep the nerves away. I was in playing in the Leinster final in 1954, and this man came up to me and he asked me, was I nervous? And I said, a bit. Uh, and he said to me, well, don't put on your boots till you're ready to go out. So it was a routine I had for all my all earners, all my game. Uh, and I just said to him, why? He says, um, if you put a saddle on a horse, he'll start prancing. If you haven't done your boots, you won't be ready to go. Matt Fooey coming up to take it. In it comes now to Eamon Goulding standing all alone, 50 yards out. He sends a high ball, but it's gone wide. And it's still 1-2 to 1 point with Wexford, the leader. Nerves and... This little man will get on your back everywhere you go, especially the All Ireland final. But the majority of that team would, would be pretty experienced, and but nerves they, they do they do get you. Yeah, I think we take our own counsel. I think we we're, we're individuals uh, when we're getting ready and all like that. But uh, then when you go out that door, 
you go out as a unit. And we had one ambition, and that was to be Cork in the All Ireland. So I think we were focused, and uh, every man from the goldman to the last player, I think, were focused, and they were going to die or be Cork. I don't think what, no matter who you bring into the dressing room, had change your mind about anything or had have any impression on us at all. We we had done our own thing and we knew what to do and we trusted one another. And that day was no different. The only time it was different was when we left the dressing room to go on the pitch. The noise was frightening. Under the field, I thought there was people lying on my shoulders. On the roof of the stands, on the walls at both ends of the field, the Hogan and the Canal End. In their thousands. And that's when the pressure, that's when the pressure hit me awfully hard. I couldn't believe so many people were crammed into the broke park. The gates were forced in. And the people just ran in into the place. And that time they were sitting on the sideline as well, which brought the people closer to you. You felt a sort of more hemmed in. But then you, after a few minutes at home, you didn't hear the crowd even shouting. You'd be trying to keep your mind off the crowd, but you couldn't help looking where people were. There were anywhere that a person could sit, even on the roof of the stands. And at that time, they used to let people in. As still as they come, they were let in. And they stood under the as he stand and they stood on the boat ends, the canal end and the railway end. And they kept coming in and they let them in and it kept packing, packing, packing up. And it was frightening to see uh, the canal end. I remember best that day, I remember the crowd swaying on it. And we could see this before the match started at all. The barriers, there wasn't enough barriers, I'd say, on it at that time. And the crowd had yet pushed down into the all, the all, the whole thing and moved towards the pitch. And then you'd see him everyone getting back up, trying to get back up on the steps again. Willie Rackett's going for it, Pitcher Ring comes in now. He's got it, he shakes off Jim English, he's set the ball right across to the far side of the field. Over it goes, Regan going out after Bradley, 21 yards out. He takes a shot, it's high and it's gone over the bar for a point for Cork. How were you all so confident, eh? I never felt any other way in the game. Even when Cork went ahead, I felt that if we could get the ball on the inside of our line, the half-hour line, I felt that we'd, we'd get something. Nicky was, came out behind me, I remember, and he roared. He'd always be roaring to get the ball in. You, I, I, I wouldn't know why he was saying on a day like that, but from playing with him, with Rack, no, he'd always stay inside the 14 yard line and he'd be roaring for the ball to get in here. He'd never come out. But this story really belongs and begins with Nicky Record, the star of the Wexford team, who, 
aged 34, knew that this was his only chance. As one of the most famous hurling families, along with his younger brothers Billy and Bobby, it was Nicky who dreamed of winning an All-Ireland medal when he was still in school in Kilkenny. It was his schoolboy skill which inspired the boys back home, including his brother Billy. Nicky was sent to college in St Kieran's, Kilkenny, which, as you know, it was, it was, it was the home, home of hurling. Um, and when he came back, we, yes, we, we'd seen a few photographs in, 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 the, uh, in the Irish Independent at the time. These photographs of Nicky running, coming away with the ball and he's taking his name underneath it, triggered off. Oh, amazing enthusiasm amongst us young lads. We, we were feeding off all that enthusiasm as, as the years went, went past. Nicky, he wasn't a man for small talk. But I remember one, one day somebody asked him a question. He parried the question and said, I don't really know, but I can tell you this, that inside three or four years we will be all Ireland champions. I suppose he was the one that was driving things on at the time, you know. And um, he was a, a very strong man. I, I say would be the strongest man on the team one of the strongest men in the country country at that time, like, you know. And uh, he had a, his dream, and he wanted to win in All-Ireland, and uh, it's a dream, and you dream it every night, you know. <laughs> like in sport, it's very important to be instantly recognisable if you're kind of an iconic figure. And because Racker was big and strong, and because he, he um, had the blonde hair, you see, people could recognise him. Right? It was the same like with the other great Wexford hurler, Tony Doran, after him, who also played full forward. But Doran had red hair, which meant even a child of four or five could instantly recognise who he was. You know? And like it's, if you're physically iconic, it helps you. Like if you're a really good sports person, it also helps if you're physically kind of distinctive and kind of stand out. You know? Wexford man Kevin Whelan. But to be good at hurling takes years of practice. To be good, really good, you need to start young. Billy Rackard, like all the team, took up the ball and stick when he was a very small child. Eventually, I got on the Rathnewer minor team. And I, I thought I was Pele. We won the senior championship four times, actually. But I slept with that medal. And I never thought of anything. The pictures came along then, Gary Cooper and all these fellows. That, that was a bit of a distraction. Only when it get dark, we'd be hurrying away, pushing back the darkness off the sky. Like we're the only nation in the world that, that play that lovely game. And no matter how other people try to play, they never, I think, reach the standard of the pro-Irishman. There's something in his genes, in his breeding, that brings the best out when he gets, he gets that ash plant in his hand. After all, it's not like a cheap game to play then. You got a hurley, you went out in the countryside, maybe at night time most times, and you got down the nice little ash plant, made maybe two hurdies out of it. And the hurling ball is made up of pieces of leather with uh, cork and uh, horsehair. That was all that made the most powerful game in the world. Simple thing. At a very young age now, we, we used to arrange ourselves, the school, our school, like, arrange matches with, with other places, just practice matches, you know. So. That's how we kind of started, and I, I think I was only nine when I played the first one, like, you know. We had nothing else to do but to meet in the field to play the game, and uh, I remember way back, 
that you know at, at the moment Croke Park is talking about games and the players are not getting enough games but back when I was 16 years of age we used to be playing a match every Sunday there used to be a game in Donard to be a game in Ratcarogue, to be a game in, in St Mullins. So we had a place to go every Sunday. So we were before our time, I think, you know. We were playing the game every every Sunday, you know. But that was that was life. And I suppose our I know my father would have been a great hurler uh, with Temple Ludigan. And uh, I suppose if we didn't follow us Pat would there be something wrong. So it's the same with every player, I think. And I went down a few times, a lot of times, but a ball, a right ball tied up and threw the twine over the bow of a tree. I went in and I pulled on this ball overhead like a boxer with a punch bag or a small punch bag. And I came home after hours with my arms hanging from me. But I persevered and I think I became fairly good in the overhead strike. But yeah, you hurled on the way to school, and we went to school a lot of times. We went to school across the fields, and you hurled anything you see, you were swinging ahead of and we hit stones and all the rest of it. But no, they had no. We 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 had a half an hour to hurl at dinner time, and that was it. But then we went to school, and you'd be there half an hour before school time, and you'd hurl in that time too. But we didn't. We hurled away on the road coming home again. But that's how that's how I got skillful, and I know that all my teammates that's how they got skillful. They hold the end, the gable end of the house, and they hold in the yards and in cattle house and all. And that one has come in 13 and a half minutes of play, and in the last minute and a half or so, Christy Ring has scored four points that puts the Corkman very much in the picture. One nine to one six. Wexford leading by just three points. They were sweating out, Jimmy, all right. You go on in. Pressure is on now. <laughs> That's what made that a good match. Eh? That's right. If it hadn't happened, that hadn't happened. Yeah, we ain't dead. It wouldn't be near school. And it's gone over the bar for a point for Wexford. Ratting was a special club because we had five railway cup players in the club in the one year. You know, and, and I think that's an achievement for any club. Earning is their God. I, there's no question at all about it. I mean, from the time you start a young lad growing up, hurling your house, tipping around the gable end of a house or the wall somewhere. So you're always at it. When I was picked first for the county, uh, in November 1949, and I would have had I would have had a pair of shorts, and they may have been made. I wouldn't be sure. They may have been made by my mother out of uh, a flower bag. There was ten stone flower bags, and the women used to make great use of them. They used to make sheets and pillow slips and all that and I, I, I have a feeling that my mother made my first shorts out of a flower bag. They'd be nice and white, be very good material. But now, when I was picked for the county, I was of the opinion it wouldn't be good enough to crawl Park, to go to Crow Park, so I, I went into Tennis to buy a new one. <coughs> 
and not being an expert on on claws, I I was showed two different pairs, and one I think, as far as I remember, was two and sixpence, and the other was one and sixpence. But I looked at him and I said, to spare the money, I bought the one and sixpence one, and I can remember so well bringing it home that when my mother saw it. She said, on the minute, it wasn't good. That it was very hard and stiff, and it was like as if it was full of starch. But she washed it, and when she washed it, you could see through it, which wasn't very nice when it got wet. You wouldn't see through it while it was dry, but when it got wet, you'd see through it. And we didn't wear, like, I, I didn't wear underpants, I'd say, until I was you know, into my twenties. And no, no, very few men wore them. And, uh, but to go to Crow Park would have pants that you could see through if it was raining and it wasn't very... <laughs> so I brought the old ones as well. <laughs> last exciting minutes here. One ten to one seven. Three points in at Wexford leading. Tom Neville, who went on to play with the Wexford team in the 1960s, remembers the team's long journey to Croke Park in 1956. There was a feeling that this just might be their year. Yeah, Wexford had to progress that time, uh, being, a foot, being from a football co uh, county. They had to progress and learn the trade, more or less, of hurling. Not like uh, traditional counties who, who from Kilkenny, Cork, Tipperary, who just rolled over from one year to the other. They had to build their own tradition. They had to learn the hard way, uh, how to win. They had to learn the hard way. All of the team were getting, now the average age at this stage would be 26 and 7, I'd say. But we still felt we had enough to win, but the hunger was coming out and the pressure was coming. Our supporters were wanting us to win and expecting us to win. Wexford believed they were ready. Billy Rackard knew he was. There's an old saying that when you can run around, you can't play. When you can play, you can't run around. And that applies, you know, there's a golden period in every player's life. That is when he can run around. He can, he can play and run around at the same time. The game started and we started, and we started very well. And I think we went up five points, four or five points, before Cork got a score. Like, you'd, if you were playing anyone else, you'd be saying to yourself, this is going to be easy. But while Ring was on the pitch, you were in danger. If you were five goals ahead while he was on the pitch, if he got the ball, you know, there could be the answer. I never felt that we were going to be beaten, even at that stage. Yeah. But I knew that we wanted to get the ball on the inside and yeah. something, we'd get something off it. And that's 13 points apiece. Out comes the play into the centre of the field. Regan has it now for Cork. He's tackled by Ned Wheeler. Tom Neville was a schoolboy in 1956. While every kitchen in the land was tuned to the events unfolding in Croke Park, his school was similarly transfixed. We could imagine we were in Croke Park scene. Bobby Rackard and Billy Rackard putting up their hand as they used to and clearing that ball. It wasn't 70 yards, it was 120 yards as far as we were concerned up and Nicky scoring up the other end. We could imagine the whole, the whole scenario. Biting her nails and the usual crack like, you know, and cheered every score and 
they're worried about every score that Cork got and when Ling scored on the other side or Josie Harkin or some of those fellas, you know. Kerry Kelly, Kerry Kelly up by the Christie ring, ring in front of the goal, it's going through. He steadied himself, he takes the shot, it's blocked by Art Foley and it's cleared out by Art Foley. Oh, a great clearance there by Art Foley and by Mick Morrissey as the ball comes out to this side of the pitch. Didn't think there was a murmur. Not even a whisper was announced. But the whole place was went up on in a blaze of glory and roaring as well. When Artie saved that ball and it suddenly cleared down the field, and the crowd were roaring, we just never heard. You know, when I was a child growing up, like I always heard it ring hit that ball really, really hard, but apparently Billy Racker told me one time that the shot was actually slightly mishit so that it came very soft into, into Art Foley. And Art Foley caught the ball, cleared it down the field, and Ring famously ran in and, um, and uh, shook his hand. And of course he said, you, uh, Art Foley had a very um, black shock of hair. And he said, you're after beating this, you little black bastard. Out comes Dickie Racker, 21 yards out, take a shot, take a shot, the shot to go! Foley cleared the ball, went down the field, and it came down to Nicky, just inside the 21-yard line, slightly to the right of the goal. And there's actually footage, I've seen it subsequently. There was a documentary camera behind the goal, which catches the moment uh, perfectly. And Nicky caught the ball and turned, and then he struck it with this extraordinary kind of balletic grace, because for a big man, he had a tremendously natural kind of swing. You can see the, the hurl going through the full 360 degrees rotation. Like when he struck the ball, the hurl starts above his head and it finished above his head. And in the meantime, he had this the right foot comes forward onto the knee, then he strikes over the ball and around through it. And it just you can see the ball actually arrowing into the net and then billowing the net behind it. It was just a beautiful goal. And of course, in that 10 or 15 seconds, when the ball went from one end of the field to the other, the game was kind of won and lost. Jimmy Brown has it now. Jimmy sends it up the field. And he sends it well up the field on the right wing. Where Paddy Perry has it now, 21 yards out. And the ball's knocked off his stick by Mick Morrissey under the line ball for Cork. The score, with less than a minute of play as we make it, is 2.14 to 2.8. Line ball to be taken up here now by Terry Kelly. A very, very short one. Locked down by Jim Morrissey. Jim Morrissey's pocket the short one too, but it's added to now by Willie Rackett. Willie up along this near wing gets the ball. Sends it away up along the corner. And Matt Bowie has it now. And the referee has thrown his whistle close for the ball. And the All-Ireland Champions of 1956. The All-Ireland Champions of 1956 are Wexford. Yes, Wexford have won the title. And, well, Croke Park has gone stark staring mad. And let me put it on very definite record that every Cork man on the team went round to shake hands not only to his own man, but to very many others of the Wexford team who have certainly come through a storm here in winning this game. And they had won. They had beaten the county which had achieved 22 All-Irelands, and they had stopped Christy Ring from taking his ninth. This was Wexford's third and finest. Nick O'Donnell and Bobby Rackard kissed the great Christy Ring and shouldered them off the pitch.
after after Galway, after when they all heard there, remember Nicky went back straight to the dressing room, and he he was sitting there and he was saying, unbelievable, unbelievable. He had won it all Ireland, but after beating Cork, it was so different. We felt we were the kings, and we were we were never once for Boston, but we felt it in our hearts. We felt that we were we were as far as we could get. You couldn't go any further. I suppose I was trembling at the time. I'd say my legs were shaking uh, because I had put my hands on something that every player in the country would love to do, and that's to lift the McCarthy Cup. And uh, it was light to lift because uh, I think I had regained all my strength when I put my hands on it. So, as I said, it was my dream. I lifted my dream. What was amazing thing in life to have witnessed and have partaken in, in that, that those years. Beautiful. And to see the way fellows went hysterical. Tears in the eyes. And you think it happened. 1956 was a special year for Wexford because they beat Tip in the league. They beat Kilkenny in the Leinster final. They beat Cork in the All-Ireland. They also won the Oireachtas and the Welsh Cup. And uh, most of the team played in the combined universities with the rest, you know, with the rest of Ireland. I captained the rest team, and Nicky Rackard of the same club captained the universities and the rest. So I would say that I have a record of holding cups because I had uh, in the, my possession the National League, Leinster, All-Ireland, Oireachtas, Welsh Cup and a cup for captaining the All-Ireland team. So I think that's a kind of a record. The team themselves wouldn't have been great for celebrating now. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have been. Apart from that Wheeler, it'd be very hard to get him to sing a song. You know, they wouldn't be. Nicky would have heard Nicky a few times sing, but no, they wouldn't be great. They wouldn't be great for celebrating, but who are great for enjoying looking at other people celebrating, if you know what I mean. And you really would feel you would feel so proud coming home. Coming home on the Monday night, uh, you could laugh and cry, you know. Every crossroads, those people, those ones, the stuff. You just feel being so privileged. I've lived through those years. No, woman. Most of those people are dead now, you know. Different world, really a different world. It's simple. And the team, without Bobby and Nicky, reinvigorated itself and went on again to win in 1960. But what about those men, Ned Wheeler, Jim English, Tim Flood and Martin Codd, who were the fittest, fastest and strongest men of their generation? Listening to it again, you felt that you had a, 
done your duty for your county, and you know. And uh, I suppose all through the 50s, I felt that that team, along through the 50s, were very committed to their county, and were prepared to do what they what, do what was needed for our county. We did not all feel. Oh that. yeah, I agree. But you see, in those days, I suppose was it not Nagao? The honour of the little village. That's right. Well, we had, we had great pride when you brought that purple and gold jersey. You felt ten feet tall. And yet, I thought it was a great honour to wear, especially me being a blow, being a blow in. I know. I, I suppose I didn't hear after twenty years after before I heard that recording, you know. And I'd remember every stroke. I'd remember, and I listened to it a lot of times since. And. Uh, I could give a commentary on the game now. I thought now we were, we were more superior than we were. You know, we were lucky enough there a few times. Cork did a lot of, yeah. missed a few goal chances, like, you know, which would have made a difference. Especially the first half now, I thought we were completely on top. But we were, we were on top in scores, but on play, like, it was level enough, I think. Yeah. We're getting their bearings all right. Mm. And uh, tell how, me, sorry, how do Jim. you feel today? Do you feel old or what? I feel what? Old. Old. Not yeah. feeling. We are old, Jimmy. <laughs> it's, it's present tense. Say, huh? it's, it's present tense. 